When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. So glad you are with me for today's discussion. My good friend, Trey Yingst, has written a very important essay that I wanted to share with all of you. It was published in USA Today with the headline, Hell on Earth, I Reported from the War in Ukraine. What I Witnessed Still Haunts Me. Trey says it's time to talk about what reporters like him go through in war zones. His job and those who help him tell the story are incredibly important. He's the eyes and the ears on scene where very few of us could see for ourselves. The pictures don't always show the whole story. Trey writes that we don't talk about the nightmares, the survivor's guilt, or the loss of identity from getting too consumed by the story. And that, he says, needs to change. Trey is doing this to speak up about the importance of maintaining mental health in an environment that takes its toll. Please welcome my wonderful, compassionate, hardworking friend, Trey Yinkst. Trey, thanks for being with me today. Of course. And a brave essay uh, for USA Today. What made you decide to open up about the struggles behind the scenes of being a war correspondent? My hope with writing the piece was that people would change the taboo around mental health and journalism. And I think so far it's done that. I've had so many people reach out to me and say, I've experienced similar things and I've just been too afraid to talk about it. And I want to set a new standard in the industry when it comes to speaking about mental health and our brains and how we process the information that we receive. Because it's not just war correspondents that can experience difficulty when they get back from assignment. People are covering weather disasters, they're covering crime, they're covering mass shootings that take place. And as journalists, sometimes you're expected to just go back to your normal life and mm -hmm. pretend like nothing happened. But the reality is you've experienced some level of trauma and it's important to know how to process that trauma. Mm -hmm. I want to read this expert that says, we feel okay until we don't. For many, post-traumatic stress disorder is not a cut or a wound that stings immediately, but rather a dull scar that remains dormant until a sound or dream or a smell brings memories rushing back in a way that makes it hard to distinguish reality from imagination. I mean, it sounds like you are very well aware of, of what the triggers are. Absolutely. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions around PTSD. And people have learned about this from movies, from Hollywood. They think that it's someone that's just sitting on their couch, shaking 24-7, unable to operate in society. And that's not the reality. People have a, a wide array of symptoms. They have uh, varying degrees of this experience. For me, it's been often in the form of nightmares. It has been in the form of sounds or smells that really can transport my mind back to 
times where I was reporting on the battlefield. And it's often things that you don't think of. You could just be walking along the sidewalk and then just smell something and it reminds you of a location mm. with a lot of very bad memories associated with that location. And I often tell people I am hesitant to explain just how bad the things that we see in the field really are. As a war correspondent, we are often there not only for the worst day of someone's life, many, many times. We're often there for the worst of humanity. And the war in Ukraine was no different. And it actually was, in many ways, I think, some of the worst that this generation of correspondents has seen. Mm. Tell me why. When I think back over the past year, since the Russian invasion began, I think about myself in the days before it started, we were in the capital of Kyiv when this invasion kicked off. And I was a different person there. And a lot of that has to do with what I hadn't experienced yet. I will, like I said, be in a way careful of how I describe it, just because I think if you describe just the true extent of, of how graphic and, and bad war really is, mm -hmm. it's difficult for the average person to consume. But a, a warning before I even explain this, if you're listening, what I'm about to say, some of it is, is difficult to hear, but it's important because it's the reality of war. In the field, reporting, doing my job, I have seen the burned bodies of children. I have seen mass graves. I have seen the experience of People just like me, guys in their 20s, under fire, shaking, terrified about what comes next and if they'll survive. I've interviewed family members of relatives whose bodies have been dismembered. I have experienced truly hell on earth as an observer. And I always make that distinction because we're lucky. We're able to go do our jobs, tell the world what's happening, hold those in power accountable, and then leave and go sit on the beach somewhere if we like. For these innocent Ukrainians, they don't have that luxury. And so I speak out in an effort to normalize the discussion around mental health, not to make people feel sorry for me. I want people to talk about mental health in journalism so that we can continue to do this critical work that we do, making people care about stories that are thousands of miles away but make sure that we do it in a healthy way that allows us to be better journalists and better people. I think it's really important what you're doing. Um, you know, back in the day when I was in starting in TV, they wanted to have this sort of facade around us, right? That we would come on and we would look beautiful with the makeup and the hair. And it was, you know, kind of not real. And when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I wanted to share the story to kind of help others and go behind the scenes and say, you know what? We're real people here. You know, uh, I'm lucky to have this job and to do the job that I do, but I also want to sort of... Uh, go away from that myth of everything's perfect on television. Now, I know you have to portray what's going on in the world and the war behind you, but my point is it's important to talk to the people that do this on the TV screen because sometimes we don't feel like real people and you are coming out and saying, I do this for a living. It's it's not pretty and I want to tell you what, how it affects me. I think that's really important and also for the connection between the person that's watching you and listening to you 
and knowing that you're a real person, not just a person on a screen? Absolutely. I think that when people see our work in Afghanistan or Iraq or along the Gaza Strip or in Ukraine, I think they can associate us with almost an action figure. Mm. We're there on the ground, on the front, under fire in these tense moments, but we make it out and we bring the story back to the viewers. And I've had so many people in the industry even tell me, you're the most badass guy I know. (laughs) And I hesitate to say thank you because my job isn't to be this cool macho guy who's not afraid of anything and has no empathy for the people that I'm talking to. It's actually quite the opposite. I want to connect with viewers so they understand that what I'm telling them is accurate and it's fair and it's truthful, but also it's human. And I think doing that with empathy is so critical. And it's something that if you don't talk about mental health, you lose. And it's something that was a wake up call for me in the field. There was one day And at some point over the past year in Ukraine, I I remember we were very close to the front lines and the commander we were with said, we can push up to this village that had just been liberated within the past 48 hours. And we knew it would be difficult. It would be dangerous, but important to show our viewers what it's like in an area that's just been retaken by the Ukrainians. And so we got up to this village and we were in a garden, in a little cottage, a beautiful little little village called Halushkivka. And a woman was in this house. It was one of her summer home, but this family had returned to make sure their house was still standing and everything was okay. And we were interviewing this woman and just a few hundred feet away from where she was standing and telling us her story, on the edge of her garden was a dead Russian soldier. And I remember looking at this soldier and not really thinking anything of it. I, I didn't process what I was seeing. I just looked at it. It was like, okay, there's a, another human that's dead there and let's continue on and, and not really think about it. <laughs> Reality is that's a person. And while it's a person who invaded a sovereign country, they're still a human. And I think that there's basic human decency and, and things that we need to ethically think about as reporters in the field. But emotionally, it didn't register for me. And it was a moment where I realized a lot of the times when I'm working in the field, the way that I process things is just to get the job done and to almost not feel anything because oftentimes what we're viewing and seeing is so painful that it's best just to not think about it. Mm. And while I think there is a, a place for that in our line of work so that we can get the job done, I think the danger is that if you bring that mindset back to your personal life and back to your job as a reporter on a day-to-day basis, you can become quite distant from reality. You can also become quite distant from your loved ones and your friends. It's very hard to reacclimate when you've sort of trained your mind to deal with things like that. And so you make a great point. I mean, our viewers have to know that we are human and that we're just like them. Mm. And that when we bring them a story, whether it be about Uh, what's happening on the front lines in Ukraine or about a weather disaster in the United States or about crime that's happening in a a large population center in America, we're bringing it from a place of humanity. And we're trying to explain to them not just what's happening and the numbers behind it, 
but the impact that it has on people just like you and I. Right. And to get interviews with people that are going through this, that's difficult too. Yeah. I mean, nothing prepares you to speak with people who have lost everything, whose loved ones are missing or have been killed. And there, there is a level of trauma in those conversations that Again, it's there's just taboo in our industry that we just don't talk about. But there's a couple of moments there that, that stand out to me. There was a grandmother that we once met in the Kiev suburb of Bucha. And she reminded me of my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother and I were very close. And she taught me a lot of what I know about the world and traveling and people and the importance of having empathy. And this kind old Ukrainian lady was speaking to us. But before I approached her to, to have this conversation, she was sort of standing off to the side as these war crimes prosecutors were digging up a gravesite in, in Bucha, where all these atrocities had taken place. And before we had the interview, and I realized that she was the grandmother of the children that were being dug up, she was just crying. And, and you could hear it occasionally as these prosecutors were, were digging up this grave. And so much of the media was so focused on the graphic nature of what was happening in front of us. And the cameras were, there were cameras there, video cameras and still photographers, but no one was speaking with this woman. And I, I noticed her crying and went over with, with our local producer and spoke with her. And she explained that these were her grandsons that were being dug up. Mm. And it's like, how do you, how do you, interview someone in that state. It, it's it's so challenging. I think it's critically important, but it's, it's hard as a human to speak with someone else who is watching this horrific experience play out in front of them. It, it's a nightmare for them. And so those conversations are so delicate. And I think we have to have them and we have to capture them on video so that we can show our audience just how bad it really is on the ground. But they do come with a level of, of trauma, having to just even experience that secondhand. And I think that also goes back to education in mental health and, and how important it is to learn how to have these conversations, not internalize everything that you're hearing, but also be able to compartmentalize when it's necessary for safety and then unpack all of this when you get home to go to therapy, to talk to a trained professional about what you've seen and what you've heard, and then be able to continue working and sharing these stories of innocent people who are trapped amid the war. Mm -hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. So when did you begin the work on yourself? So I began to work with myself years ago. Um, I have been a big advocate for therapy with my friends and family for years. I think this line of work, while it's not always as horrific and graphic as what we've witnessed over the past year in Ukraine, it's often quite challenging. I mean, we have been in Beirut, Lebanon after the port explosion as authorities were digging through the debris looking for the remains of the Lebanese civilians who had had been killed. 
we were on the ground in Iraq after Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian commander, was taken out in an American drone strike in Afghanistan after the Taliban took over. In Gaza, amid war, as rockets are flying and airstrikes taking place, I've witnessed a, a lot of really horrible things in my career. And I intend to keep doing it because I feel a purpose. I feel like if I'm not there to witness what's happening and to tell the world about it, who will? And there are others in our industry who are willing to do what I do in the field, but it's a it's a pretty small handful of, of us that are willing to take these risks and to get out there and to really tell these stories in a fair and accurate way, but more importantly, in a way, in a way that makes people care. Um, but so I, I would say years ago, I started doing the work. I really, when it, it comes to Ukraine and, and what we witnessed over the past year, I think I've started to dive in a little bit deeper about myself and, and trying to understand and unpack what I've seen and what I've experienced. I've stopped ignoring the nightmares. I've stopped ignoring the jittery feeling I get if a car drives too close to where I'm standing or a helicopter flies overhead. I'm now acknowledging that those things and my reaction to those things aren't necessarily normal and that I need to address them. And it it doesn't mean that I have to stop my work or it doesn't mean that I'm any less of a journalist for it. Um, but I think that it's it's just important to address these things in real time. And I think I've learned a lot about myself over the past year, and I've learned a lot about my community and the people around me. Uh, Fox has been incredible. I mean, I think we have leaders at our company who have been in the field before, field producers and people who understand what it's like to witness these types of things. So they've been incredibly supportive. Um, there are bigger things like uh, support in terms of therapy, um, but also smaller things like access to the Calm app, uh, an app that you can use for meditation. So part of the work that I'm doing is not only working on myself through these things, but also now informing other people of what's out there and what's available. Um, a lot of my work has been in meditation. A lot of it has been now in cold exposure, Wim Hof breathing. Some of it has been in exercise and diet, just trying to experiment with these things and how they make me feel better overall. And then just also acknowledging that each day is going to be different and that it's okay to wake up some days and not feel great and know that these days will pass and that brighter days are ahead. Mm -hmm. What about your family? How, I mean, this this is hard on them, right? The job that you have to do, it takes takes you away from people that you love and who are worried about you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my family is really supportive of, of what I do. Um, before my mom passed away, she was always checking in and calling and seeing where I was at. Um, my dad, I always tell people, is kind of like my second agent. <laughs> Um, he watches all of my live shots and he'll tell me, hey, on that tag there, give a little bit more context of where you're at because the average viewer might not know where the Dnipro is or where Zaporizhia is. And tell us how long the front line is so we really can conceptualize what the Ukrainians are facing. So he's awesome. I mean, he every day is checking in 
on, on the work that I'm doing, but also on how I'm doing as a, a person. He's taught me a lot about how to navigate the world and how to navigate people. So they're incredibly supportive of, of me. Um, I have a twin sister and she's done quite a bit of traveling and seen a lot of the world. So she's a great sounding board as well. But you're right. It can certainly be challenging for family members because they see what we're doing and there's no way to hide really how bad it is when you're a correspondent because oftentimes over the past year i would text my parents and say everything's all right and my dad initially would say well in your report you said there was an airstrike across the way i said yeah but we're okay uh because he's watching the reports in, in real time uh now he's gotten to the the point where when i'm in kiev or another city in Ukraine, he turns on the air alerts and I tell him not to do it, but he mm. does it anyway. And he'll say, well, there were two air raid sirens yesterday. How are you guys doing? I try to distance them as much from the realities on the ground until I get back as possible because I don't want them to really know how bad it is sometimes when we're out near the front. But I think the bottom line for me is that they're incredibly supportive. And it is something I've, I've been really blessed with because if you had family members who didn't want you to be there, that would be a whole nother challenging part. But I think they know that for me, this isn't just a job. It's an identity. It's a passion. It's, it's everything for me. I mean, this work is for me, the purpose and the reason that I get up each and every day. I, I love this job. Like I, I genuinely am so passionate about what I do. I feel like it provides such a, a service to people to educate them and inform them about what's happening around the world. And so I think the people who are close to me, my friends and family, they know that I'm going to keep doing it because it, it's just who I am. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, it's very recent that your mom passed away and that must be very tough. Tell me a little bit about her and your relationship. Um, she was incredible. She she taught me a lot about empathy and about people and about the importance of listening. And she was a social worker for part of her life. Uh, she was a teacher for part of her life. Um, but she was someone who really taught me about communication and empathy and was very encouraging on, on my journey. Um, an interesting thing that I, I've taken away, having been back to Ukraine since she passed on Thanksgiving last year, was understanding grief better. I, I never thought that when she passed away, I'd be able to apply what I learned from that experience to my job. But I think that losing my mother actually, in a weird way, made me a better field correspondent because I understood grief in a way that I previously just couldn't conceptualize. And we, we interview so many people who have lost relatives, but she is the closest person to me. I mean, there's no one like your mother and to lose her. I think it, it helped me put into perspective when other people are, are losing loved ones and we interview them and we say, I'm so sorry. And thank you for sharing their story. But to, really understand that feeling in your chest when you lose someone you know this this well you have advocated so graciously on, on behalf of your loved ones um but that feeling just it, there's nothing like it but i think understanding that feeling can make us us better at our jobs in, in the line of work specifically that i do because so often it's trying to communicate 
how these innocent civilians are feeling when they lose a loved one. So it's it's different, but there are, are similarities in, in the way that we process grief. And so that's just one takeaway that I think that I had from from losing her. I can only imagine how proud she was of you. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Do you feel safe when you're out there? I do. Um, we have an incredible network of resources provided by Fox. We have decision makers who used to be field producers and are now vice presidents. We have armored vehicles. We have support teams and security that travels with us 24-7. And so when we're in the field, we make educated decisions. We plan things in advance. We know where we're going. We know who we're with. And we move with all of that in mind. And so while you're never 100% safe, there is an understanding that this job can be done in a calculated way that allows us to do our jobs and get back home. There have been moments throughout our coverage, and these are are moments that were televised. And I, I try to always speak about the things that I can show people video of and, and explain to, to them thousands of miles away uh, of what's happening, where we were in, in difficult situations. Is, uh, that's how I would describe them. The one ha- has to do with actually a few days before the war started. We were with Ukraine's interior minister in the eastern part of the country near a a city called Bakhmut that's actually in the news today because it's being heavily fought over. And while we were in the trenches there, these Russian-backed separatists identified our position and started to shell it very heavily. And we had to run uh, down a a road as these Russian-backed separatists were shelling both sides of the road, trying to hit the team of journalists traveling with the interior minister. And we were live during that, which was was actually, from a television perspective, pretty crazy. Um, like, we often go out and we, we tape things and we, we shoot our stories and there can be difficult moments. But to be live during an incoming artillery is, is really crazy. But I, I think that it captured just how bad it was. It was totally something we didn't expect. It was out of the blue. There was a, a quiet area, but just suddenly it, it started. And then that was one of, of many moments, I think, that were challenging uh, in, in the field. In the early days when the Russians were attacking Kiev, we were often under fire. Um, it was reporting, and you could hear small arms fire in the background. And then as we go and venture out to the front lines, there are, are moments where you hear it nearby. You hear the artillery whistle overhead. Uh, we were along the Russian border with a commander, and as we were interviewing him, the Russians started to fire from their territory artillery and try to hit the position. And so the bottom line is I actually do feel safe in this job, but I am acutely aware of the danger that comes with it. And so you're never 100% safe, but we try to take all of the precautions that we can. And like I said, Fox provides us with so many resources and such a, a vast network of experts to make sure that what we're doing is done in, in the, the safest way possible. Can you tell me what your idea of 
in terms of what's happening over there? Do you see an end to it? Or is it going to, I mean, it's, it's amazing that we're still talking about it because this was a war that was only supposed to last a couple of days. And here we are a year later. Yeah, I think that my assessment from the interviews I've done with people like President Zelensky or Ukraine's defense minister, Alexei Reznikov, down to Western intelligence sources that we speak with about the support coming from the United States and Ukraine's European allies, every indication is that this conflict will last for years. Mm. And when I tell people that, I often get the the same question of, well, how is that possible? This was supposed to be a, a short war. But the reality is Vladimir Putin has shown no indication he plans to stop with this invasion into a sovereign country. And the Ukrainians are just simply not going to give up. They have a will to fight and to reclaim their territory and their territory only. And it is just setting up for a drawn out, not necessarily war of attrition. Maybe in in the long run, that's what happens. And it's certainly what has happened in some parts of the battlefield, but certainly a war that drags on and leaves thousands more killed, if not even more. Are you going back? Certainly. Yeah, I'll absolutely be going back. I spent more than 170 days in Ukraine since early February of last year. And I learned a lot about the story and about myself. But I'm committed to telling the story and to making sure the world is informed. So I'll certainly be going back. I think before I go back, I'm going to continue with my personal journey of ensuring that I'm the best reporter I can be because I'm taking care of myself at the highest level. And that's my focus in the short term for the next couple of weeks. And we'll see what what other stories develop. But absolutely, I'll be back in Ukraine. And give me your prescription for the person who is feeling out of sorts, overwhelmed, and, and wants to reach out for help. I love this question because <laughs> uh, I love talking about it. My prescription would be first, the first thing I would tell you if you're having a difficult period is that this is temporary. This isn't going to last forever. What you're feeling is not your reality. It's just a moment in time. I would then say to go for a walk, get outside, get some sunlight, Think about what you're eating, uh, what you're consuming. Try to make a plan to do some form of exercise every day. If you want to go a little further, start taking cold showers. Uh, Go to Google and type in Wim Hof breathing and explore this a little bit. If you don't have a therapist, try to get one. Download an app like Headspace or Calm and start meditating, even if it's just a few minutes a day. And write some affirmations for yourself. You can do it. This is temporary. You are important. You're needed. You're necessary. And reach out to people, whether it's loved ones or coworkers that you trust, someone, and just ask, hey, do you have a few minutes to chat? Do everything that I just listed for a month and just see if you feel better. Give it a shot. Because... 
I can't necessarily guarantee it, but I'm pretty sure if you follow that prescription just for a month and you're consistent and you truly are, are, are working each and every day on yourself just a little bit, you'll start to feel better over time. And, and I would just remind those people that it's okay to speak out about how you're feeling. It's okay to talk about your mental health and the people who love you and who care about you, they will be there to support you and they will rally around you. And if they don't, you're learning something about the people around you and you can remember who's important and, and where you should put your energy moving forward. Trey, you are doing really important work. I, <clears throat> I really truly believe that. Obviously, the work that you do bringing us the story of incredibly dangerous war zones and storms and destruction and death and real life. But you're also doing something really important by bringing awareness to our mental health. Listen, I'm a huge advocate. I've been in therapy for over 20 years and it saved my life. It really did. Um, so I'm not afraid to talk about it. And I'm so grateful you wrote this piece. Uh, and I want to, you know, I want you to continue to speak out because like you said that you got so many messages when you wrote that. Um, and it, it really can speak to so many. And so I'm so happy that you wrote this. Thank you, Janice. Really, I appreciate it. Keep doing the good work. And um, to be continued, I want to keep up with your story. And uh, you do amazing work, my friend. I'm, I'm proud to know you. Oh, thank you. I'm proud to know you as well. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Trey. I'm I really, you, truly Janice, you're I'm the best. so proud of you. Okay, my love. Let me know thank if there's you. anything I can do. It's great to talk to you. So, same Absolutely. here. Same here. Thanks again to Trey for sharing his story and, of course, his important reporting. I'm a big believer in taking care of our bodies and our minds when it comes to staying healthy. There should never be shame in seeking a professional if and when you feel life is overwhelming. You don't have to be in a war zone to feel the need to talk to someone if you feel you're struggling. I've been in therapy for over 20 years, and it was one of the most important things I've ever done in my life. No matter where you are, if you feel the need to seek help, there are many resources online and in the workplace, too. We all need to take care of ourselves and each other. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.